1757, 22-year-old Robert Robinson sat down and penned the words, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And so as he looked inside his own heart, he, with a plea, he wrote, Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Even at such a young age, Robertson obviously was a student of the human nature. How prone all of us are to wandering. And even though we are Christians, how attractive sin can be for us and how easily we are seduced by it. This past week at the, at the shop where I, I work, where I'm employed, I listened to some of the talk of, of the shop. And through the, the conversations, I became aware of a couple in this community, a Christian couple, who have fallen into sin. They've both been arrested for theft. Uh, and if that wasn't bad enough, it was a large sum of money from even a church. And there's something within us that kind of cringes, uh, perhaps because it casts a shadow on the church, upon Christ, and other Christians, but a part of us asks, how is it possible, how can it be that a Christian could fall? Um, but let me give you this morning, let me give you a taste of some reality. The reality is, now even though I hope it won't be true of you, the reality is that many Christians go through a period of time in their life where they turn for an extended period of time, turn their back on Christ. Um, oh, you might continue the charade of going to church, singing hymns, even teaching a class, but your heart's not here. Inside, you've departed from God's presence, God's power, and God's peace. Most Christians, many Christians, can point to a time like that in their life. So this morning, I want this to be one of those life's teachable moments for you, for all of us. How this can happen, how it's possible for a Christian to fall like this, and also want to give you some positive steps how you can be restored if it happens. We want to take the light of God's word. We want to shine it into the, some of those dark recesses of your heart and mine. We greet all of you this morning in Christ's name. We welcome you to the instruction of God's word, uh, the living word. That I want to dive right in this morning. I want to place in front of you what some have termed the seven deadly sins. They are not necessarily called that by scripture, and yet they are the sins that seem to have caused the church the most problem. But some of the sins that have been most damaging to the church, they are pride, gluttony, greed, anger, sloth, envy, and lust. Some 15 or 20 years ago, uh, I worked with and had the occasion of working with an individual um, 
and uh, he was raised, actually raised from a Lutheran background. He was not a Christian, I was a Christian, but we became really good friends. He had kind of a boyish charm about him, and there was something unique about him. I raised as a Lutheran, it was unique that he could recite a German prayer that he'd been taught as a child in German, and uh, I found it fascinating. But uh, as we became good friends, we also knew how to get on each other's nerves. And uh, one day he proceeded to push my buttons and seemed to be more buttons that I had limit switches for that uh, he just, and I don't know what I did or said or did, but I'm sure it was unbecoming of a Christian because I remember the words he threw at me. They hurt. He said, if you really would have been a Christian, you wouldn't have done that. And uh, I was quiet for a while. I was convicted, number one. And uh, I, I, I just, I, my, we worked about 15 feet apart. His workstation was here, my workstation was over there. And uh, I was just quiet for a while. And after a while, I, I took out a piece of paper and I, I wrote something on it. I, I taped it on my workstation so he could see it nicely. I wrote on that piece of paper, I'm not perfect, but I sure am forgiven. I want you to know that's not just, it's just, just a great comeback. It's good, solid, biblical theology. Um, that brings me to the first statement I want to put in front of you, a clarifying statement is that being born again is not synonymous with becoming a model of perfection. Please get that out of your mind. Just because someone has received Jesus Christ, you've received life from God, and have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, doesn't qualify to you pose for a portrait of perfection. You see, when you receive life from God, it's just... That's just the point you begin to understand how deeply, sin is a, how deeply sin is a part of you, how deeply sin is ingrained in you. It's just when your problems begin. Uh, one of the most tragic things we can do is tell somebody, if you receive Jesus Christ, your problems are going to be over. It's tragic. When you receive Jesus Christ, your identity changes... But the nature you are born with stays the same. The Adamic nature, the fallen nature that you have, remains the same. Ephesians 2, verse 1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked. All of us walked in those things in the times past. According to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now work of the children of disobedience. Notice these words in verse 3. Among whom also we all. I don't care what church you come from, what family you've been raised in. This is our background. We all had our conversation or our behavior in times past 
in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You received Jesus Christ through a supernatural birth. You changed kingdoms. You exited the kingdom of Satan, and you entered the kingdom of God. But the nature you are born with has stayed the same. The Adamic nature you have stays the same. Secondly, after receiving Jesus Christ, our destiny has changed, but our sinful nature, the Adamic nature I'm talking about, still stays the same. You can go to bed tonight, be reassured that Jesus Christ really has paid for all of your sins. And that without Christ, if you'd have died without Jesus Christ, you would go to hell and ultimately the lake of fire. That would be your destiny. But because you've, cha- because you've received Jesus Christ, your destiny has changed. It has changed to heaven. One of my mentors in the years past uh, taught me something about a word. It, it, it's in, I think it's in 1 John 2. It says, Jesus Christ, our propitiation, who is the propitiation for our sins. Taught me that word propitiation is a 25-cent word meaning satisfaction. When Jesus Christ paid for your sins on the cross, God the Father was satisfied. He is satisfied with the payment that Jesus Christ made for you. But again, that does not change the Adamic nature that you have retained since you have become born again. I want you to get this. The Adamic nature you have still is the same. The evil that you committed... Before you were born again, you are still able to commit now. The sin you committed before Jesus Christ, you still can commit now. Galatians chapter 5. Let me show you something. Notice this. This I say then, walk in the Spirit... And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Notice with me, he's addressing Christians. He's addressing people who are saved and received Jesus Christ. Verse 70, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and they are contrary to the one, one to the other, that ye cannot do the things that you would. You see, your nature... When you receive Jesus Christ, a battle begins. Your sinful nature puts up his fist and says, wait a minute, I've been in control of this life. It puts up his fist against the Holy Spirit and says, I'm not giving up control. The Holy Spirit says, wait a minute, I'm in control now of this life. These are contrary to each other. One translation puts it, a person's selfish desires are set against the Spirit And the spirit is set against one's selfish desires. They are opposed to each other, so that you cannot, shouldn't, so you shouldn't do whatever 
So, so you shouldn't do whatever you want to do. The whole point is you can. You can do whatever you want to do. You are able to do whatever you want to do. If you allow the Holy Spirit to dominate you and control you, you can resist the sinful nature. But if you choose not to live under that influence or that power or that control, sin is to be expected. Your sinful nature will control. You can commit those kinds of sins. Look at verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Notice the word if. It's possible for a Christian to resist the Holy Spirit. You want to know what you're capable of doing? Look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, adultery, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, and revelings, and such like of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in the time past that, the, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. There is literally no bottom to how far you can fall as a Christian if you choose to reject the Holy Spirit, the influence of the Holy Spirit, and how far you can fall. Now let me deal with the word do. They, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That word do is in the present tense and it means a continued action. The one who makes this an habitual practice of life and refuses to repent. It's not talking about the sinner who falls, gets back up, and repents. It's talking about the one who continues doing these things. That's the one who forfeits. Forfeits heaven. It's not talking about the person who falls, gets back up, keeps getting back up. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, and against such there is no law. They that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. We're going to be getting into that. You see, because we retain a sinful nature, it is possible for us to be sinful in practice. Uh, I've been a part of the church for probably 30 years now. And in those thir uh, 30 years, I've seen Christians involved in many different types of sin. And there's a reason why. That sinful nature within you and within me 
desires to sin. We long to do it. We're interested in it. We're curious about it. And there's a deep-seated love, that nature, to sin. You see, it's only the work of the Holy Spirit within us that makes us hate sin. It's only God within us that makes us, gives us a hatred for it. But you see, because there are those two natures within us, there's a battle for control. And there is one of the... Uh, I've heard people say, well, I really struggle. Well, that's a good sign that you're struggling. If there was no struggle, I'd have bigger questions. As long as we are clothed in this flesh, we are going to have some problems with sin. I'm not saying we can't be victorious. Years ago, one of my sister-in-laws made a statement that just holds so true. She made this statement, every sin we commit always affects someone else in a negative way. I stop and think about that. There isn't a sin that you can commit that doesn't affect someone sooner or later. In fact, the scripture talks about, especially the fathers, that he will visit the iniquities to the third and fourth generation. Your, your, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren. So there's a big, your sin will always affect someone else in a negative way. There's always a price tag. Our society is disintegrating because of the avalanche of sin. Because sin today is celebrated. If it feels good, just go do it. We, our society celebrates sin. Now, let's go to, to uh, John chapter 1, or the epistle John ch chapter 1, verse 5. He says, This is the message which ye have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, notice the conditions he, he puts on, this is a con very conditional piece of pa uh, passage of scripture. In verse 6, if we say, if we say in verse 7, if we say in verse 8, if we confess, verse 9, if we say in verse 10, these are very conditional verses. In verse 6 it says, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Why does John say that? Because it's possible for us to do that. It's, it's possible for a Christian to say, you know what? I have fellowship with God and, I, and still be in sin. But that's not the truth. You see, we kind of get on a merry-go-round. We, we sin and confess. We sin and confess and we sin and confess. And before we know it, we're confessing while we sin. And before long, it was, if we stay on the track, we're confessing before we go to sin. Thinking that sin, it's okay if I, as long as I confess it. You know what that's called? It's called rationalizing sin. Verse 7 gives us the contrast. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one, one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from how much sin? Aren't those amazing words? 
all sin. You know what that does? It gives me hope. It ought to give you hope. It ought to give all of us some hope that God isn't finished with any of us. That there's hope for all of us. You see, holiness is just a theory. It's just some theology. Unless you and I learn how to walk in it. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I've heard people do that. They don't call their sin. They don't call it sin anymore. They just call it mistakes. I just made a mistake. He's talking about the sinful nature. If you say you don't have a sinful nature, you're just deceiving yourself. All of us still have it. Uh, all you need to do is to talk to your husband or your wife or your children, and I, I'll soon find out that you have a, you can talk to my wife and you'll figure, find out the same thing. <laughs> we have a sinful nature. We are sinners by birth, we're sinners by nature, and we are sinners by divine decree. There's three ways that God declares us all to be sinners. Verse 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our, all, us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love the word all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. The Donald Gray Barnhouse used to say he, he washed it light pink. How many of you are comforted by that? Jesus just washed it light pink. What brings comfort to me and you is that Jesus washed it white as snow. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. I really don't make, need to make a lot of words to that, 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 that verse. It just says it well. Let me give you another statement. Living beyond the practice of sin is just is not automatic. Living beyond the practice of sin is not automatic. What I'm going to say might sound like a contradiction to that statement, but it's not. It's possible for us to live victorious for extended period of time, but it's not automatic. It's not something that just happens. There's something you need to know. There's something you need to consider, and there's something you need to present. If you're going to live the victorious Christian lifestyle, there's three things you have to under, be understanding. There's something you need, you need to be equipped with. I'm going to show you. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By the way, this is a test of the New Testament gospel. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 is the test of our gospel. And I love this verse. See, if I teach you a work salvation that says you earn your way to heaven, to that, to that gospel, I cannot ask the question, why not keep on sinning? But if I tell you that salvation is a free gift that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, 
You receive Jesus Christ, God gives you life from God, gives you, changes your destiny, changes your kingdom, and it's all free. To that, one, I, to that gospel, I can ask the question of Romans chapter 6. Why not continue in sin then if it's that simple? Paul asked the question, why, did, why don't we then keep on sinning so God just gives us more grace? Verse 2, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that the, so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Through a, a marvelous operation of God, you and I were baptized into Christ's death. I don't proclaim to understand how God does this. All I know is when God says he did it, he does it. Um, why was it necessary? Well, the law could not die. Sin could not die. That only leaves one that could, entity that could die, and that's me and you. We had to die to sin so that sin's power was broken. Back in Genesis, when Adam fell, he came under the penalty of sin, and he came under sin's power. And it need, that sin's power has to be broken. Through that marvelous operation of God, when we receive Jesus Christ, we are baptized into Christ's death. I don't proclaim to understand. It's when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, it was the same as if I hung on the cross. You know why it's important? Because he that is dead is freed from sin. I have yet to see any corpse that has ever had a problem with sin. You and I are the corpse. After G receiving Jesus Christ, every sin becomes voluntary. You no longer have to live in sin. Therefore, we are, verse 4, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we should walk in the newness of life. So not only have we died with Jesus Christ, we've also been raised with him. The resurrection power that literally raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the power that now indwells every believer. You have that power. If you're born again, if you have life from God, you have the power that literally brought a dead corpse out of a grave. That power is yours to live above sin. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we have been dead with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For he that died, he died unto sin once, but he that liveth, lived unto God. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ. 
Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust thereof. Verse 13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For us to live victorious, there are three things you need to be equipped with. Something you need to know, something you need to consider or present, consider or reckon, and you need to present something. Let me show you the verses. Verse 3, know ye not that so, that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. You need to know that this took place for you. You need to know that you were baptized into, into Christ's death, that you died with Jesus Christ, you were raised again from the dead. So you need to know that. Verse 11, likewise you need to reckon or consider this to be true. You need to consider this to be reality for you today. This needs to be claimed and be a part of every morning you, you, you get up. I have died with Jesus Christ. I am raised again with Jesus Christ. His power is mine. And verse 13, neither yield ye, you need to, your members as instruments of a righteous, but, but yield. You need to yield or present your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Every morning, you get up, you need to claim it. You say, Lord, I, th these are, today I recognize I, I'm weak. I, I, today I, I believe that your strength that I've died with you, that I've been raised again through you, and that power that is mine. Today I'm going to give you my hands, I'm going to give you my eyes, I'm going to give you my mind, I'm going to give you my feet. I'm, I'm going to present these to you today, and I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to, I'm going to walk in your power and your strength. Part of the thing of being a Christian is just being dependent. And admitting that this is not something that you and I are going to pull off on ourselves. Uh, how many, it's sad how many Christians go through life thinking this is something they can pull off on their own strength. This is something that comes through faith and through the power of God to live victoriously. You want to see your biography and my biography? Well, it's in scripture. Let me show you. Romans 7. This is your life. This is my life. And uh, it's the life of some of the great spirituals, even the Apostle Paul. For that, which I, for, th for that which I do allow, not. For that which I would, that I do not. And that which I hate, that I do. Even then I do that which I would not. And I consent unto the law that it is good. So then it is no more I that do it, but sin dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I, I find not. Isn't, isn't that so true? Does that just help all of you to understand how, how real scripture is and how relevant God is to today? 
For the good that I would do, that I would do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. You know, I, the good I love to do, I don't find time for. And the evil that I, see, I hate, somehow I find myself in the middle of it every day. Now if I do that what I would not, it is no more I that do it, but the sin that dwelleth in me. For I find then a law, a principle, that when I would do, would do good, evil is present with me. There's a principle here. Seems like when I want to do good, I don't have the strength. And I desire it, but don't pull it off. Uh, the Apostle Paul went and said, oh, wretched man that I am, who should free me from this body of death? Who, who would, is there any way for somebody to put me out of this misery? You know, the reality is, which one of us hasn't been there? I've been there. I've been there. I mean, you, you begin your day with God and some good attentions, and, and by breakfast time, your, your sinful nature shows up kind of hijacks you and uh, just kind of takes over. And you kind of go back to the same rut you've always run in and it just happens day after day, month after month, year after year and you just wonder, when's this all ever going to change for me? The good news I have for you to do for today is that could change today. That could just change today. That's the good news I have for all of you. Let me answer a few questions about what happens when a Christian sins. You see, by walking in obedience with God, we enjoy a relationship with God that is called, the scripture calls, fellowship. That's a fellowship that we have with God brings brings uh, brings peace to our mind, it gives us power in prayer, it empowers us to be in content with our circumstances, it helps us to have a grateful attitude um, and when my spirit, when my when I live under the control of the Holy Spirit the Bible speaks to me, I get something out of God's word I enjoy being fellowship with God's people and uh, it just it's, but you see, when you and I sin, that fellowship with God gets broken. And uh, it's kind of like there's a leak that forms in our spiritual life. Uh, our peace starts to leak out. Uh, our hope starts going out. Uh, our appreciation for God's le- salvation leaks out. Uh, I had the occasion of watching a video of, of a dam that burst and it just began with a little leak and it kind of crumbled off and there's a little more and there's actually a big road above it and all of a sudden it just kept just growing and getting bigger and all of a sudden there's a big crack in the road and, and all of a sudden it just collapses and just there's just this huge wall of water that just goes out that's what happens in the Christian life when we we have sin we don't deal with it we a little bit erodes away and it keeps eroding and before we know it, we, we are living just like someone who's lost.
That's why Ephesians 5.15 says, See then as you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Living life under God's control is wisdom. It helps you know and understand what the will of God is. Now, I need all of you just to understand something. When someone falls into sin, doesn't mean that you automatically lose your salvation. I know this might be stretching some of you, but I want all of you to understand that. You see, when David fell with Bathsheba into sin with Bathsheba, notice what he writes in Psalms 51. He does not ask God to restore unto him his salvation. What does he ask of God? Restore unto me what? The joy of thy salvation. You see, it's hard for us to enjoy salvation when we live in sin. God doesn't just drop us when we fall. In fact, we're going to find something about God that is, is amazing. David asked for God to restore again the joy of his salvation. There's a world of difference between those two. Now, this morning, I want to ask, ask, ask the question, is it possible for a Christian to become enslaved or addicted to sin? I'm going to let God answer that question. Look at verse, Romans 6, verse 16. Notice what it's saying. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servant ye are able to his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Paul is saying you become the servant or the slave of whomever you obey. If it's God, you become his servant. And if it's of sin, you become the servant or the slave of sin. So the answer is an emphatic, yes, you become as a Christian, Become addicted to sin. It's possible. It's possible. How does it happen? It happens when we don't deal with sin. And we keep yielding to the same sin day over day, day after day, day after day. We become, sin masters us. It becomes, we become the slave of it. We can become, as Christians, addicted to sin. One writer puts it this way. He says, one lie is, has to be covered by a dozen more. Wronging others fills us with stress, which leads to further irresponsible acts. The downward cycle of sin moves from a problem to a faulty, sinful response therefore causing additional complicating problems and additional sinful responses. I want all of you to understand that's a Christian. We can be addicted to greed. We can be addicted to gluttony. We can be addicted to lust. 
But you know what I have for you this morning? I've got some great news for all of you. There's hope. In Jesus Christ, there is freedom. It's possible for that to change. It's possible not, not to be your life. So how do we recover if we have fallen? Let me give you, put some scriptures in front of you. This is David. Or not, this is not David. Proverbs 28, 13, he says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, for whosoever confesses and forsaketh them shall have mercy. The beginning step is to just simply not hide your sin. By the way, that's how addictions become a, that's how something becomes an addiction, is simply by hiding it. So the first step towards restoration is saying, you know what, I'm not going to hide it anymore. We open about it, and I'm going to seek help. I'm going to get whatever. So the first step is, note, and notice what he says. Whosoever confesses and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Which one of us doesn't need mercy? The other thing I just want to put out in front of you, how, how important it is for all of you to be merciful. The mercy that God has extended you, the grace that God has extended you for your sins, be able to extend that to someone else who falls. We need to be merciful. I, I, years ago, um, I still remember a pastor. Uh, on some things we did not agree theologically, but I had a deep respect for him because of how he handled a brother fell in the church he had such a compassionate way to dealing with his sin. He didn't go into big details about the sin, but he helped the brother. He brought the, he, he, the brother conf, did a confession before the church. It was with such kindness and such compassion. And I still remember the words the old pastor said. You know, he goes, he tells the church, the "Church is not a is not a pedestal for the holy; it's a hospital for the sinner." You know. All of you need to grow in that. This, this, this congregation being a place where somebody can heal. So the first step is not covering sin. There's a second. This is David after he had fallen with Bathsheba. Psalms 32, I have acknowledged my sin unto thee. He's talking about God. And mine iniquity have I not hid. And I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. He is repented after his hiatus with sin and all the problems that it's caused. He returns to the, war, to the Lord. He spills it all. He's a broken man. David wrote in Psalms 51, Sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, thou wilt not despise. You see, when David was honest before God and agreed with God, came clean with God, God was not only willing to forgive, he was longing to forgive. God longs to forgive you. There's a third step. 
1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Restoration includes making restitution to those we have wronged. We need to confess to those that we have wronged and be willing to do whatever it takes to make it right. Uh, God promises us that not only is he going to forgive us, he's going to clean us up. He's going to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Give us back a healthy life, a healthy walk, a healthy relationship with God. This morning, as I come to the close of this message, you know, maybe I'm speaking to someone here. Um, maybe you've got something in your life. Maybe you'd like to talk to one of us pastors or one of the pastor's wives. But uh, I just want to encourage you this morning that really is, God has given us, it, it's possible. We need to watch our words. When we, we someone fall, I mean, I, just a comment I've heard. Well, he couldn't have been a Christian if he felt like that. James, I'm going to turn the time over to you.